Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 52. In this episode, we explore the heart-wrenching journey of a parent coping with the loss of a child who battled co-occurring disorders and tragically died by suicide. You will also hear about how to move forward with resilience and hope. My next guest, Barbara Legere, is an extraordinary author of two books titled Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction, and Suicide, and Talk to Me, I'm Grieving. She is also an advocate who has transformed personal tragedy into a powerful mission to uplift and support others. Barbara's journey as a single parent navigating her son Kevin's battle with substance use disorder and depression was marked by immense challenges. Unfortunately, her world was shattered by the devastating loss of her son to substance use disorder, depression, and ultimately death by suicide. In this episode, Barbara courageously discusses grief brain, a phenomenon often overlooked. Through her insights, Barbara emphasizes the importance of compassion and support for those grappling with this invisible struggle. Take a listen. Thanks so much for joining us, Barbara. Good to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Me too. I mean, let's dive right in. Our listeners know a little bit about you from broad strokes, but if you could share a little more about as a single parent, what your experience has been with addiction, mental illness, and suicide. Well, I, I raised my son alone with the help of my, my mom, his grandmother. And it was a difficult thing raising Kevin alone because the main thing that disturbed him throughout his lifetime was not having a dad. And even though it's very common in today's world, it was something that really bothered him. He didn't have any friends that came from a divorced home or or like me, a single parent home. And it was something he thought he wasn't going to be the right. He wasn't going to learn the right things without a dad in his life. Mm -hmm. But for most part, he was a happy child until he got to about third grade. And I started seeing signs of depression. And from that point, it progressed. He he also became very anxious about things, um, which led to eventually the point where he did start using drugs. And that is what took over his life um, at the age of 17 when he started using heroin. Oh. So, yeah, we I, I had him going to a counselor, a therapist. I had him on medications on and off through his childhood and it seemed to help, but he got to the point where he wouldn't take his medications anymore because heroin made him feel perfect. And that's, that's what he used for his own self-medication. I mean, that's a a 17 year old and he passed away at what age? 29. 29. So from 17 on for about 12 years, he was actively using Yes. So as a single parent with a, with a mom, with your mom, how do you even wrap your head around what to do? I mean, it sounds like you were trying the best you could, obviously, with getting resources that, you know, you, you wanted to seek out. But what was that like to just watch him kind of unravel? Oh, my gosh, it was a nightmare. But I have to say the first two years, 
I was, well, the first year I was so naive. When he came and told me that he was using heroin and wanted to stop, I thought, well, first I was shocked. I didn't know heroin even existed anymore. Right. And secondly, I thought, oh, good, he wants to stop. He'll go to recovery and that's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how naive I was. I did not realize that it is not that simple. Going to drug treatment is not necessarily going to give you recovery. Right. It's, it's not a cure, help. is it? No, you no. You have to be ready for it and you have to work very, very hard. Mm -hmm. So I educated myself to the point of knowing his friends, being around other addicts, talking to people, talking to people in recovery. I really immersed myself in that whole world so that I could understand what it was like for him on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And it's something that rules your life. He would wake up every day and wonder, how am I going to get money to get my drugs so I don't get sick? And that became the goals of his life was just to not go into withdrawals, to find the money he needed to get the drugs. And so now you know this kind of process. What was that like for you? The more educated you got, how did that help you or or what it was that like? It helped me because I, I went to certain support groups sure. and I saw so many angry, angry parents that just didn't understand why their children couldn't stop. And I knew there had to be a reason. I mean, no one would choose this for themselves. Right. It was hell for them too. I mean, they had you know, going in and out of jail, being arrested, being on the streets, having all their friends turn their backs on them. Just it, it was a terrible thing for them as well as for their parents. So by educating myself, it helped me have more compassion for Kevin and his friends and to be more supportive. I wanted to be supportive and loving and encouraging because my son hated himself. He felt like he was ruining my life. And to go through that every day, I wanted to remind him, no, you're worth it. Mm -hmm. You are not ruining my life. You're the best thing in my life. Mm -hmm. And yet he was unconsolable. Yes. I mean, he had, he had periods of time where he did find sobriety. And maybe I think the longest term for him was six months in all those years. So it wasn't a long time. And then he had, he went to prison for 16 months and that really changed him a lot. Mm. It was three years after he got out of prison that he took his life. I just think he was different ever, ever since that experience for him. He was not cut out for it. There's so many people in there on drug offenses that aren't really criminals. Mm -hmm. They're just, they commit a crime to support their drug habit. So. And he had treatment too, though, correct? Oh yeah. He's been to, I, I think I lost count at 13 at least 13 drug treatments, wow. anywhere from 30 days to four months. Um, the long, in my opinion, for people, the longer, the better. If you can go in a year long program, that take it, just do it. Put, give that year of your life to getting better and getting therapy and learning how to cope because it, it takes a lot. It's, it's not a simple matter. It Absolutely really not. And, you know, on my show, I've talked to a lot of people who were actually like your son in recovery or, or, you know, in the process and sharing their struggles. But as a parent, that's a very different position and you're not addicted either. Um, but you experience what a parent experiences is a whole different level 
watching it's different than watching your wife or your husband um although yes. painful and tragic but this is your son and this is your only child right um, right. And so, no, I mean, some people, some parents that I've seen just give up and like, you got to do you. And when you're ready, you come to me. What was, I mean, how exhausting for you? It was so exhausting and very isolating. I mean, I, I was very open about it to my friends mm -hmm. because I was not ashamed. Once I realized mm -hmm. This is not a choice. It, it it is a disease. It is something wrong with the brain that causes them to continue doing this. I talked about it, and they got tired of hearing about it. Um, so it was isolating in a way. Um, finding other parents in my shoes was the most helpful thing. But yeah, I felt I started grieving him long before he actually died. Long before to see him go through what he went through to give up on himself his anxiety he would get paranoid thoughts and hear voices in his head mm -hmm. I mean I would spend nights just staying up with him um I allowed him to live with me I know a lot of parents don't do that mm -hmm. I had tried kicking him out several times but it his it just got so much worse he was left for dead in an alley and was on life support for three days before I even knew where he was. So, I mean, it was so much worse when he was out there. I wanted him in my home. I wanted to support him. I wanted to keep him as safe as I could. And I know that's not a popular thing, but for me personally, that's what I thought was best for Kevin right. and myself. Because you're trying to keep him alive at this point. Yeah, I really was. And that's, I mean, from a mother's point of view, if you've never had children, I, I, I have never had kids, but I can only have empathy for about how hard this process could be when you are watching your son dying in front of you. And I think that was a really important distinction, Barbara, is to, to, to grieve him while he's still alive. That is how heartbreaking. It really is. And it's happening in families all across our country. It, it's so common and a lot of people don't talk about it. I I think the more we talk about it, the more we find out, at least for me, the more I found out I am not alone. Yeah. This person, now, so many people I know have been suffering in silence watching this happen to their children. And And you're right. What a lonely road that is. And so ultimately he took his own life. Is that right? Yeah. So one of the things that is, it's so hard about the story is, that it's not that you found out that he had passed away, right? You didn't have to hear about that he passed away. He actually passed away with you. Yes. He had warned me for years that he would end his life this way. And then he didn't bring it up for like two whole years. I was like, oh, good. We got through, we got that. through that. Right. And he had tried to do it with drugs many times. He tried to overdose himself. But this time he was serious. He used a firearm. I heard the shot. I ran upstairs and I found him uh, lying across his bed. Oh. And, you know, my life changed at that moment. I changed. Everything changed. Oh, my God. I mean, and again, Barbara, I appreciate you being on this show. And I will talk a little bit about the work that you're doing, not just for your own catharsis and grief, but also for other parents who are going through this. I mean, I don't know of anything more devastating than to experience something so 
unimaginable. I mean, there's one thing that, you know, you're saying goodbye to him, knowing at some point he's going he's gonna to die from this disease, but to end it this way, death by suicide in your own home with your firearm. Yes. Right? That's... Yes. And I had to let go of guilt from that immediately because I wouldn't even be sitting here. I would be unable to function if I <sighs> blamed myself that he used my firearm. I couldn't. I couldn't go there. I just, I still can't. Mm -hmm. I think he would have found another way. But mm -hmm. yeah, that was the hardest part was knowing that maybe if I didn't have the gun in the house, maybe he wouldn't have done it. Oh, yeah, the what ifs. And and I yeah. bet in your work with other parents, you hear this often, the shame and the guilt. Well, what if we just did this one more time? Or if I didn't say this to this person, he might or she might still be alive today. I mean, talk a little bit about that grief of and shame and guilt. How do you even move past something like this? It is so difficult. And yeah. that is the first thing you start thinking is what the what ifs and the right. questions. Yeah. And I had to try really hard and focus on the fact that I couldn't allow myself to go down that road too much. I mean, I would have the thoughts and then I'd say, no, I can't go there. This happened. I need to figure out how to survive, not dwell on the whys because there's no going back. Yeah. What absurd there they're pointless now because you can't do anything about it. It happened. So I try to help parents realize that they are not at fault, no matter what. It is not our fault. Sure, we make mistakes as parents, but we make them in love. Right. Everything we do, we do to try and help our kids, not mm -hmm. harm them. And so if there is a mistake we made, we just have to forgive her. We absolutely have to, or it will just eat you alive. That's such a huge part of like forgiveness. I mean, this didn't happen that long ago and you're still working through. I don't know if anyone ever gets over this. You know, I don't think there's such a thing, but there is a way in which to live with it and to move forward. And I think that's what's so extraordinary about your story, Barbara, is you're doing that not only in by yourself or within supports, but you're also helping others. Tell me a little bit about some of this grief, because as you know, grief is deeply personal, right? And it's an ongoing process. Talk a little bit about grief brain. You and I got to have uh, the opportunity to speak with each other earlier, and you mentioned grief brain, and I thought that was such an important concept for people to hear, because I'd never heard of it before. Ta tell me a little bit about that. It, it's really important to understand, especially if you have a friend or family member who has grief and experiences mm -hmm. grief brain. And it was given that name many, many, many years ago, I think like in the 40s or something. But mm -hmm. um, it is a neurological thing that happens to the brain when there's trauma. Uh, it's a part of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you lose a child, you have that it is one of the things considered PTSD, especially any sudden loss that you're not expecting can bring on grief brain. And what it is, it's, oh gosh, there's so many symptoms, but mostly it's you're forgetful. Mm -hmm. You can't think clearly. You forget your train of thought. You forget things that you know, like a address or a phone number that you've known for years. You can't remember it. 
um, things like that. And I think a lot of parents that don't know that that's what's going on with them feel mm-hmm. like there's something wrong with them, but it's not really something wrong with them. It's normal to go through that but it's so difficult. So I just want people to have a lot of compassion for their friends and family that are experiencing grief because we really do suffer these neurological effects and it can make you feel even worse. I mean, I I feel dumb sometimes. I feel like, gosh, I just can't think of this and I know it. Mm-hmm. So being aware of it is to me the most important thing. Um, you can Google brief brain and read all about it because it is so common. But unless you, I never heard of it before, mm-hmm. unless you've experienced it or know someone that has, then you're unaware of it. I mean, I had no idea that this happened to people who lost someone that was really close to them, but it is alive and well, it's very real. I think for a lot of people, it lessens and lessens over time, but for some people it lasts a long time. I still have it. It's been, um, it'll be three years in 25 days. Mm -hmm. So I still have it. And uh, a lot of my friends who have lost their children 10 or more still suffer from it. Yeah, it's like a fog. There's aspects of your brain that your cognitive, like your thinking process is hard. Emotional regulation is very difficult too, right? Your moods are up and down. And then also your fight and flight, like the amygdala is constantly distressed. Absolutely. Yes, that's a big part of it. So it's it's another challenge that's thrown into grief. But I think it's such a important thing for people to listen to, regardless if you've lost your your child to addiction and mental illness and addiction, when people lose someone or there is a act some event that causes deep grief, it's like a brain injury, isn't it? It is. It is. It is a brain injury and it doesn't matter who you lose, if it's someone you deeply love or if it's in a traumatic way, a car accident, you know, anything that's unexpected like that just throws you. Um, I did have a traumatic brain injury one year. On top of this, right? After Kevin, after I lost Kevin, I had a traumatic brain injury a year after he passed Mm. and I have the effects of both now, but they're, they're the exact same. Oh my goodness. And you know, with this, I think again, I appreciate Barbara, you talking about this so candidly because it's real, it's legitimate. There are three parts of your brain that get affected that we just talked about. Um, But there's also strategies, right? And resources that help with grief. Tell me a little bit what has helped you kind of begin to heal. Well, for me, writing was a big, big part of my process because I've always loved to write. Someone gave me this leather journal after Kevin died and I started writing letters to him in it immediately. So I have all these letters that I write to him. That helped me a lot. Meditation helps. All the things that you hear that will help with stress also help with grief exercising, finding a creative outlet that you enjoy, something that brings you alive again a little bit, you know, something like art or music or whatever it is for you. For me, writing and a support group. The support group was the most important thing for me. And I found one five years prior to Kevin dying. I found one because of a a young man who was like a son to me who died Mm -hmm. from an overdose. And there's a group called Solace for Hope. 
and it's for parents and family members who have lost someone to overdose or um, suicide, mostly mm -hmm. overdose, but we, we do have other people there too. And mm -hmm. they understand, they are the only people I know that really understand what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And I can't expect anyone else to, and I don't expect anyone else to, but the, the sense of being understood and having my grief acknowledged in such a personal way, because they feel the same thing, that's been so helpful to me. And we talk to each other about our kids all the time because we know that that's what we want. We want to, we want to hear about our children or our spouse or whoever it may be. I think that's so important. What helped, I mean, when, and again, grief is extremely personal. Um, I know for myself with loss, um, it's very difficult to reach out and even talk about these things, you know, um, and working with a lot of folks who have experienced PTSD or some form of loss, experiencing grief, one of the hardest things for them is to even talk about it because they're so flooded. We call it flooded with emotions. What would you, what has helped you go, yes, let me talk about this, so painful, so personal. What helps you, like, talk about this stuff? That's a huge step, I would imagine. Well, for me personally, I've always been very open about myself. I've always kind of been an open book, so to speak. And that has helped me a lot. I see friends struggle and they don't want to talk about it, but right. there's a release in talking about it. I mm -hmm. think when you talk about it, it's like taking some of that pain from inside of your body and letting it out. And the more you talk, the less you have to deal with inside. Um, of course, it comes back, but at least that day, if you're talking about it, you're going to feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. And finding people that are non-judgmental, that can be supportive. And that's why I wrote my book about grief. It's called Talk to Me, I'm Grieving, mm -hmm. because we're so uncomfortable in this society about death and grief that we avoid the person who's grieving. Um, we don't know what to say to them, or we say the wrong thing. So we avoid them. Mm -hmm. But the person who's grieving doesn't want to bring it up either, because they don't want to upset anybody. Right. So if we could have that conversation, <laughs> which I hope my book does, yeah. and realize that it's healthy to talk about it, it's okay to talk about it. The person listening may be uncomfortable, but hey, you know what, you're helping somebody. So if your discomfort will lessen as you listen more and realize that you are sincerely helping your friend or mm -hmm. loved one through grief just by being there and listening and showing that you really care and you want to understand. I think that's so important. And, and being on that side of the chair, being the actual parent or person who is suffering such tremendous loss and grief and beginning to share, um, you mentioned staying connected and the support groups. What helped you do that? I mean, I'm sure you've met with a lot of parents who are afraid or have so much overwhelm that have no idea even how to talk about this. Like you, for you, you had no idea other parents were experiencing this because it can yeah. feel like you're the only one, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And to realize that you're not the only one is, it's a huge relief to know that what you're going through is, is considered normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's normal. It's what everybody feels that's lost someone that they love that much but there are there are a lot of support groups online 
like Facebook has several, and they're actually very helpful to people. I know people that that's where they go. They go to their group and they share and they get to know one another. And it's been really, really beneficial. I belong to a few, but since I have an an in-person group, which Mm -hmm. is also online, Solace for Hope is online too. Those are my people. But if they weren't, I would know them online and they would still be my people. It's just really helpful, I think, to tell yourself, it's okay. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to cry when you talk about it. Oh, it's that's okay a to big one. Oh yeah. It, you're going to cry if you talk about it and that's okay. If it's too soon, it might take a few months for you to get to that point. If it's too soon, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. But when you feel like you're ready to start really healing, that's when I would suggest talking about it. Mm-hmm. The first few months, it's like, you're not even a, yeah, I mean, like, person. how does one even manage, like, um, not just the day you hear this or witness this, but like in the in the first couple of months, like if we were to just kind of your process and what you have found to be helpful with uh, talking to other parents like yourself, what are some of the top things to consider um, if you're a family member watching someone go through this, what would you tell that person, that friend, that loved one who is witnessing someone going through grief? Because remember, we talked about like, what do people say to someone who's grieving? You know, like a parent, like, I'm really sorry for your loss. I mean, that doesn't seem enough, but you're right. There's some like discomfort. How would you guide someone to like open that communication? Well, first, if you're really close to the person, I mm-hmm. would say help them think about things that they, for me, anyhow, it was like, I couldn't think about anything. I couldn't think I need to go to the grocery store. I couldn't mm-hmm. get myself to be get behind the wheel. I was nervous that I'd wreck my car. Mm-hmm. So in the very beginning, I think physically being around and checking on the person often mm-hmm. is very helpful because we're walking around for me I had a literal ache in my chest I mean it was just this aching pressure and I felt like I was in a fog and I think it was partly numbness like protect my own brain protecting me from going crazy right but there's a lot of things that you can say and do and and saying I'm sorry for your loss it doesn't sound like it's helpful but at least it's something and yeah. that is one of the things you can say. Mm-hmm. But I I always recommend asking the person if they want to talk. Say, do you sure. want to talk about Kevin? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like talking about it? Do you want me to just hang out with you and we don't even have to talk if you don't want to be alone? Um, there's a whole list of things that you can do and things that you can offer, especially in the beginning, because unfortunately, as soon as someone dies, you have to jump into action and plan a funeral, a memorial service and all these things. And for me, it was pretty much all on me. I had to write the obituary. I had to put together the video. I had to do this and that, the other thing. Why did put together video, but find the photos. Mm -hmm. And so all these things someone else can help you with or at least keep you on track um it's really hard i mean that's that also can feel very very lonely i think those are important things just kind of what the basics right it sounds like like do you want to talk can i bring food to you you know there is there anything else i can help you with like because that reminds me a big huge thing is that we always say let me know if i can do anything for you 
I would recommend never saying that, right. but instead saying, what can I do for you? Or even better, offering something really specific. specific like, right. I'm going to bring you a meal tonight. I'm Not just okay. going to make make something, leave it on your front porch. Where would you prefer a DoorDash gift card? What can I do for you? Is like asking someone who's in this horrible place to come out of it to think for right a like let me know whether and they're like well i can't even let myself know whether i can yeah. like take a, a shower whole, yeah i have a whole list of things i mean uh-huh. walking someone's dog running errands for them cleaning their house i mean the list goes on and on but those offers to do something mm-hmm. are so much better than asking the person what they need to have done. And let them know and let you know, because they're not going to be able to do that, right? Not well. And you can't expect someone who's yeah. grieving. It, exactly. It relieves a big burden. And That's so um, helpful. And plus, it's very hard to reach out and say, hey, will you bring me something? Will you do something? We're not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> It's not, so, not going to happen because there's so no. much other shit yeah. going on. I can't even yeah. imagine. I think that's really tangible, concrete things because that's what you're saying. The grief-stricken person is not going to know. We just talked about the grief brain. So how is the grief brain person going to go, sure, I'll indicate to you in an email or I will call you tonight on a Wednesday, <laughs> every Wednesday and check in with you. I mean, we can only wish for that, but we know realistically that's not going to happen. And especially as the parents you meet are probably highly independent people, you know, they wouldn't want to burden anybody, you know, with their shit. I'm like, oh, you got too much. You already have your own kids. Like, I don't want to bother you, which further isolates them. Right. So helping the loved ones of the griefed person is going to be really important. Right. Yes. Yes. I think I, I don't. Is that talked about very much? Sometimes in in support groups, it's talked about, but I don't think any of this is talked about enough. And that's why I wrote my book Mm -hmm. thinking, I mean, there's lots of books on grief. I Mm -hmm. think the thing that makes mine a little bit different is it's also for the person that's supporting them. It's almost more for that person because it'll help them know what they can do. And and people sincerely care and they are so hurt for you and so devastated for you, they feel at a loss, like, what can I do? What can I do to let her know I care and I'm here for her? And so that's hopefully what it communicates. And it doesn't matter what kind of loss it is. They're all, they're all difficult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But losing a child is considered to be the most difficult. Can't even imagine. And when we talk about the difficulty you know, earlier, uh, before we, we went on here, we talked about that actually grief changes over time, doesn't it? Can you walk me through a little bit about how your grief has changed? Sure. As I mentioned in the beginning, I was just a zombie, really. I was just walking around, not really living, not really thinking about anything, just getting through the day. And, You know, you do that every day. I cried all the time. I just felt sick. I had that ache in my chest. But slowly, slowly, those things did begin to get a little easier, a little less painful. But it never really goes away. I mean, today, I'm, I'm okay right now. But I could go out in my car and I could get a stop sign, a light behind a car that reminds me of Kevin 
and I will start crying. Mm -hmm. Or I can be at the grocery store and pass something that he used to love. And that will just trigger me. I will, I will just feel that deep pain. It never really goes away, but somehow we learn to move through it. And for me, it's been support and writing and just wanting to help other people. I mean, I don't have other children or a spouse or anyone. Mm -hmm. So for me, in some ways, it's actually easier because I don't have anyone else that I have to take care of or mm -hmm. be there for. So sure. that's why I'm trying to be there for other people that mm -hmm. may benefit from knowing some of the things that I've been through. I hope, I mean, that's, that's all I really care about now is hopefully being compassionate towards others and helping them because it is a lonely, lonely place. And speaking of which, I mean, you know, these two books, Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction, and Suicide, and your most recent book, Talk to Me, I'm Grieving. Walk me through a little bit about what inspired you. I mean, I can see where these would come from, but at the same time, writing a book and sharing your story is very different than sharing your story in a private group. I mean, this is very, yeah. very open. And I think it's a testament, Barbara, to you wanting to take the light on for this very silent community, if you will. Um, walk us through a little bit what inspired you to do this work. I mean, that that seems very deep work. Well, <laughs> believe it or not, I just felt like I had to write a book. And Kevin and I had talked about writing his success story someday. He always wanted me to write a book about how he overcame and was doing great. And obviously that didn't happen. So about three months after he died, I just couldn't get it out of my head. It was mm. like, you have to write this book. You have to write this book. I didn't want to at first, right? but once I started writing it, I couldn't stop. I realized that it was a story that needed to get out there because Kevin's not unique. I'm not unique. So many people are going through the same thing and you can really see the inside of what it looks like for someone who is suffering with substance use disorder mm -hmm. and mental health. You can see what it's like for them, the depression, the and for the parent, what they go through. It's it just helped me a lot to share. And like I said before, I've always been an open book. It's kind of like, well, that's one thing that changed big time for me when Kevin died was that I no longer cared what anybody thought of me. It's like, who cares? I don't care if people read my book and judge me. That's fine. But there's one person that's going to read it and find it helpful. I just quit caring about so many. Everything seems so trivial now. It's like, what really matters? Other people, love, encouragement, kindness. That's that's all that really matters to me. And having that connection. I mean, after losing a child, it's kind of like nothing else can bother you, really, right, to that right. degree. I mean, that's the worst of the worst, honestly, yeah. right? The worst thing that's happened is already happened. So whatever happens... After that... You know, Right. And there's something about that that could breed. I don't care. But what happened for you is you care actually very deeply. And, you know, when someone loses, like I have a friend who lost their son for a different reason, but lost their son and they love even more deeply. And yes. I'm like, how the hell do you do that? I would imagine it would be very easy to be callous, to be bitter and to like love life is so unfair and to stay really angry or resentful. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's, that's common 
in some ways, right? I see this in families who've lost their child in who were in recovery and then did not make it like your son. So tell me a little bit about how, for you, it seems similar. You actually love deeply. I do. And that's just, that's partly just who I am. Sure. And I see those parents that are suffering, feeling bitter and angry and hurt. And my heart just goes out to them. I mean, it's very difficult to sit yourself down and say, I am going to try my best not to be bitter, not to let my life just go down the drain and of unhappiness and bitterness and anger, because that's what is the easy thing to do. And it's really hard to overcome that, but you can't, you can overcome it. For me, just focusing on other people has always been natural. So, uh, you know, for me, it's easy. I know it's not easy for everybody. Sure. I know it's super difficult and I never judge anybody that has a hard time getting to that place and they may never get to that place, Mm -hmm. but my heart breaks for them because I want them to be able to just remember the good things about their kids or their loved ones. I try so hard to focus on all the good things about Kevin. Like I said, I hurt every day. I get devastated. Like Mm -hmm. now it comes in waves Mm -hmm. instead of just being steady all the time. Mm -hmm. And I just hope that for other parents that they can get to that point where it's, it's in waves. It's not the norm for them to feel the, the bitterness and the anger. Mm -hmm. And, And the thing is, is you can't rush this process right? I'm, I would imagine people would, who are feeling this way, hate feeling so devastated and just want to get through this or want to act like yeah. it didn't happen. I mean, there's so many different levels, right, of how grief can yeah. show up. And one of the things about these things, as you mentioned earlier on, his anniversary will be in 25 days. Anniversaries for people in recovery are huge. Anniversaries of significant losses are also very big in recovery. Some of that can tip people over to go relapse and die themselves. But as a parent who is still of this earth, and you are going to experience yet another anniversary of Kevin's loss. What would you say to people about how to manage the anniversaries? There are so many things you can do, and it's an individual thing. I have friends who will go out to the favorite restaurant. The whole family will go. They'll invite friends. Um, Some people will go down to the beach and write their name in the sand, and some people will let off lanterns or balloons or just sit around and talk about the person and try to share the good memories. Other people, they, they just want to be alone on that day and just reflect or be by themselves. I haven't found a specific thing yet that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I've done something. I haven't really done anything yet, except for when I did get my brain injury, it was because, and I'll admit this in front of the world that first year I was so upset I drank mm-hmm. and drank and drank and I don't normally drink so I'm a lightweight mm-hmm. I drank to the point where I passed out and smashed my face on cement and spent three days in ICU because I couldn't cope with that day that is the worst thing you can do it was the most stupid thing I've I've ever done but people do it and, I mean they could yeah, want to feel their so pain common. you want to numb yourself and sure. that's what I was trying But instead of numbing ourselves, I think just creating a a special way to remember the person and just Mm -hmm. making it all about them instead of about your grief. And that's what I've tried to do the the next 
last year and this year coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like there's a way to honor your loved one yeah. without so people, feeling like you yeah, have to die yourself. All, yeah, there's all kinds of ways you can do that. I have friends that put a garden in their backyard. It's absolutely beautiful uh-huh. with all these rocks with his name and flowers and signs and you know, it's a beautiful thing. And they just sit there and think about Riley. And then I have another friend who got a bench for her son in a park. And it doesn't have to be a big, huge thing. It can be something on a smaller scale, but something that makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. In honor of them. Yes. Right? Because we're in a country that doesn't talk about death and dying. It's not part of our culture. If it is, it makes people feel really weird and anxious and scared. So I think some of the mythos needs to be disrupted, meaning we need to talk about this. So I am so grateful that you're like, I lost my son in death by suicide. And this is what I've done to work through some of this pain, but also be able to help others. What three things do you think you've experienced that are common among grieving parents? Well, the grief brain for sure right. is yeah. very common. Mm-hmm. The feeling like I am a different person is very common. The feeling that, you know, the worst possible thing that's happened has happened. So, you know, what else could possibly happen? Unfortunately, I've known parents that have lost two children. And so there is other bad things that can happen. Mm -hmm. But very common thing is that you just look at love you realize how quickly it can change. And Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. me, that's just made me more appreciative of all the people I know and care about. I think that's pretty common for a lot of people just to, it's like your whole life really changes in that moment because you're not the same person. Part of you is missing right? when you lose a child. Part of you is missing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's also, like we talked about in the beginning, parents who've lost children are misunderstood right? There's a myth around that, right? There's this stigma, if you will, that you don't want to bother them or. Yes. Yes. And that's so unfair. I mean, I think what happens is, well, I'll give you an example. I have a friend named Tina Mm -hmm. and she shared with me that it had been about a year since she lost her son and she was out with some friends. It took them a while to start asking her out again, Mm -hmm. but they did the right thing. They never gave up. They never, when she said no 10 times, they asked the 11th time. Mm-hmm. But yet, once they were out, they said, well, you're being a killjoy. You're not having fun. You're not like you used to be. It's like, well, of course she's not. Oh, shit. But <laughs> right? Of course she's not. Right. That's how people think. They think that you get to a point where you're over it. You're going to be back to your old self. And I think it's so important for people to remember, we're not going to be back to our old self. Ever. I mean, I laugh, I experience joy, I'm silly, I do all the things I used to do, but at the core of me, I'm not the same person, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's permeates you. It's like always on my mind. So for someone to be aware or uh, nervous about bringing up someone's child or sibling or spouse we're already thinking about them 24 seven. It's like there, it's part of your brain now. It's never leaves you. The fact that they're gone never leaves you for a second. Mm -hmm. And I think knowing that I think can help folks navigate 
when other people are experiencing grief because it's not talked enough. Our children are not raised to learn how to grieve. Not in this culture. In other cultures, absolutely. You know, and they're probably well, way more well-adjusted. But us growing up as kids, I know for me, grief was never discussed on how to experience death and dying. Yeah, yeah. I lost my dad at age 15 and my family never talked about it. We just didn't even talk about it. It was like, okay, we just need to deal with it and move on. And there are so many unhealthy ways that I dealt with that at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have to be like that. I really hope people understand that, you know, death is normal. It's a natural part of life. Some deaths are devastating, but even if they're devastating, we still want to talk about them. We mm-hmm. still need to share our stories, keep our me- our kids' memories alive. That's so important to me. And when Kevin's friends send me a picture that they found on their phone or mm-hmm. share a memory of some silly thing he did as a kid, those are the best moments for me. I just love talking about him and I love keeping his memory alive because he mattered. All these people matter. And see, I think that's such an important thing that seems like a no brainer, but I think you being able to articulate that for other people to hear, especially those who have experienced something similar is, I appreciate that. And before we, this conversation, we had another one and you mentioned that you can see Kevin in different places all the time. Yes, I do. And I can feel him sometimes. It's like I feel his hand on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I will get little signs from him. And today I got one, I was having my coffee outside and a feather just kind of flew in from nowhere and landed right by my foot. (laughs) Uh And a lot of people say, well, I don't get signs. Sometimes you can make up your own sign. You can say every time I see a yellow butterfly, that's my sign. You can, it doesn't have to be, you know, some big, huge thing. I have had a few big, huge things, but I really believe that they are still with us. Mm-hmm. I hear Kevin's voice in my head as if he's walking by and saying, hey, mom, you know, like he's saying hi to me or hey, mom, like he's going to ask me something. Mm-hmm. I still hear that. And I love it. I love it when I hear his voice. I think that's a beautiful thing to know. It's like create these kind of rituals or understandings. And you've had conversations with him you know, and you've had ability to have some closure with him too. Is that true? Yes. I really feel that he has asked me to forgive him. And I've already told him that I was never mad at you. I understood the second it happened. I never held it against you. I know it hurt you to hurt me, but he really believed that I could handle it. And he told me that many times. And he said, Um, It's going to happen. And I know you can handle it. I mean, now I have these conversations with him. And um, I think I mentioned to you that I I spoke to a psychic medium, which absolutely made a huge difference for me. And I know not all people believe that that's real or Mm -hmm. that it's safe or whatever. I was very, very skeptical, Mm -hmm. but I was desperate to to find out what is there really an afterlife? Can I communicate with them? And Mm -hmm. it blew my mind. It just was amazing, the things that this woman said and knew about my family. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents showed up before Kevin did. And the things she knew about my family, and it was just mind-blowing. But yeah, that's when Kevin made me, uh, or told me he was sorry, and I let him know, it's okay, I'm not mad at you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know there's a connection there. 
And I think that there's some spirituality, having faith, and whatever we want to call it, um, a higher power or whatever. But if you're open and your heart is open to stay connected, all sorts of things can come to fruition and offer some form of comfort that doesn't have to be alcohol, that doesn't have to be avoidance. Because it sounds like you're very much engaged in this process of grief and that there's some catharsis by journaling to the point of writing two amazing books that I highly recommend. I don't think you have to lose anyone to read your books because I think all of us, it's part of the human condition to experience loss. I would have loved to have read this uh, years ago when I experienced some tremendous loss. Talk to me, I'm grieving. Also helps folks, you know, about learning ways to manage that grief. Is that true? This book coming out now? Yes, a little bit. Yes, I think so. I I have little sections called Hope for the Uh Griever, where Uh I share things that I think will help them. If there's one thing that you can share about some of how to find that hope or to to foster that, what would you tell someone? I would tell them that you still have a connection. And for me in the beginning, I just closed my eyes and I just imagined Kevin's face and I just talked to him. And there's many ways that you can find that connection. That's one way. I have a friend, Debbie, who has a picture of her son, Nick, that she sits next to her when she has her coffee every morning and she takes it with her in the car when she goes places. I mean, there's a million creative ways that you can remind yourself that, okay, my person is gone. I can't see them anymore, but they're still with me. Mm -hmm. And that brings me the greatest comfort. I know he's still with me. And it's not gone forever. It's just gone in the way that we normally know, physically not here. But yes. there's a way you stay connected on such a beautiful level and and to let people know that it's possible. But also, it's so important to stay connected because as many of the folks that I speak to on my show, their message is you're not alone, right? And I think yes. that's a big one, right? Oh, Barbara? that's huge. Yes, that is huge too. You are not alone. You're not alone. Find your people. Um, realize that there's other people that feel so much the same as you do. I mean, we're all different. We all grieve differently, but there's a commonality there that we all have a lot of things in common. Mm-hmm. Then different and such a beautiful thing to say. So if other people want to get a hold of you or talk to you or get more resources directly from you, um, how can people find you? I have a website. It's my first and last name.com, Barbara. L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. And you can find my email there, links to my books, my blog, social media, and please email me if you have any questions. I would love to respond and I would love to help anybody any way I can. So I am very open to that. And yeah, that brings me joy. Excellent. I would love to have you back because when is your book out? The second one, Talk to Me, I'm Grieving. Is that out? 25 days from today. Isn't that I chose, I chose to have it come out on that day, thinking, you know, bring something positive to the worst day of my life. And (laughs) I think I still think it's a good idea, but (laughs) it's kind of hard dreading that day, yet knowing that it's a big day because my book's coming out. Right. And and I don't know. I I wouldn't do it again. I don't think. (laughs) Well, just writing a book and publishing is a huge ordeal. And I know your own open book. But, you know, to do this in 25 days also is, you know, challenging, too, I can only imagine. But I really do appreciate 
the books that you have coming out. Congratulations, if I may say that on, on your you. book. Um, not just Thank one, you. but two. Thank very, so. very difficult topic that as a culture we don't talk about. So for those listening, obviously this is a hard topic, but I also want to say, Barbara, that you know you have resilience. There's hope. You can live through this. It doesn't mean you're going to let it go. It just means you know how to live beside it and honor this loss to the point where it can inspire you to do things that you've never done before, like write a book or share your story and not give a shit about smaller stuff in your life. Right. So there's, there's things you're learning about yourself through this process. And again, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and your willingness to share your story. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. And you have a wonderful podcast. So thank you for all, all you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.